Welcome to Tucumcari First Assembly's podcast. Our prayer is that through today's message, you're both encouraged and challenged wherever you might be in your walk with Christ. Now open your hearts to be changed by the Word of God. I want you to just close your eyes all over this place. I want you to go to that place where decisions are made. And I want you to pray this prayer. If you're ready for God to speak directly to you through the, today's message, I want you to just make a decision. God, I want you to speak to me. And if you're here and you're like, I want God to speak to me, I want you to raise both hands towards heaven. And I want you to pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, today is my day. Speak to me and transform me by your word. Give me eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart and a mind that's ready, willing, and able to believe and receive every word that you would speak into our existence. We give you full permission and access to do what only you can do. But from this moment on, you have my attention, you have my permission, so have your way. In Jesus' mighty name, everyone said, amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. I want you to turn into two different places in Scripture. And uh, the teenagers have challenged me. Usually there's a running joke on what row I'm going to get to. Today's, they've challenged me to do a figure eight around the chairs. So we'll see. We'll see. And if I do that, I get to challenge one of them to do something. So we'll see where we're at. But Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 9 and Mark chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 9 and Mark chapter 8. This message, I love the names of God. Like I'm, I'm big, I don't know about you, I'm big into nicknames, right? So like I'll call people preacher and you read, you remember that? He wrote me and I'm like, what's up preacher? And he's like, preacher? <laughs> I can imagine his face, but he was like, I'm, I'm no preacher. And I'm like, yeah, you are. But I, I just, I love nicknames. And so when it came to God, I, 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 as I started reading through scripture, I'm like going, man, he has some, he has a lot of names. He has a lot of cool names. And every name that is spoken of about Jesus is descriptive. It's not just another name. It's descriptive. And I want to I read something to you real quick. Did you know in Genesis, Jesus Christ is the seed of the woman in Exodus he's known as the he is the Passover lamb in Leviticus he's the high priest in numbers he's the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of, of fire by night in Deuteronomy he's the prophet like Moses like unto Moses in Joshua he's the commander of the Lord's army and judges he's the judge and the lawgiver in Ruth he's the kinsman redeemer the first and second Samuel he's the seed of David in, in Kings and Chronicles he's the he, he is our reigning king in Ezra he is a faithful scribe in Nehemiah he's the rebuilder of everything that's broken that's a good name uh, in in, in um, Esther, he is the advocate. In Job, he's the ever-living uh, redeemer. In Psalms, he's our shepherd. In Proverbs, he's our wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he's our purpose and our meaning to life. In Song of Solomon, he is the, lo- the loving bridegroom. In Isaiah, he's a wonderful counselor, uh, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. In Jeremiah and Lamentations, he's our weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he's the glorious Lord. In Daniel, he is the fourth man in the fire. 
In Hosea, he is the faithful husband. In Joel, he is the outpourer of the Holy Spirit. In Amos, he is the burden bearer. In Obadiah, he is the judge and savior. In Jonah, he is a risen prophet. In Micah, he is the, the ruler of the world of, from Bethlehem. In Nahum, he is the stronghold. In Habakkuk, he is the watchman. In Zephaniah, he is, the mighty, he is mighty to save. In Haggai, he is, he is the restorer. In Zechariah, he is the branch of David and the one pierced for us. In Malachi, or for the Italians in the room, Malachi, he is the son of righteousness. That was for me. I'm Italian. <laughs> he is the son of righteousness. In Matthew, he is the king of the Jews, the Messiah, the, the Christ, the son of the living uh, God. In Mark, he is the servant, miracle worker. In Luke, he is the baby in the manger and the son of man. In John, he is the son of God. In the living, He is the living word, the way, the truth, and the life. In Acts, he is the savior of the world, the, uh, the ascended Lord. In Romans, he is the justifier. In 1 Corinthians, he is the res resurrection. In 2 Corinthians, he is the comfort. In Galatians, he is our liberty. In, in, in Ephesians, he is the head of the church. In Philippians, he is the joy. He is our joy. In Colossians, he is the completeness and the glue that holds our world together. In 1 and 2 Thessalonians, he is the coming king. In 1 and 2 Timothy, he is our mediator. In Philemon, he is the benefactor. In Titus, he is the blessed hope. In Hebrews, he is our, our, our faith and our perfection. In James, he is the power behind our faith. In 1 and 2 Peter, he is our chief shepherd and our chief cornerstone. In 1, 2, and 3 John, he is our truth and our everlasting life. He is love. In Jude, he is the foundation of our faith and our security. In Revelations, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's, and I, I don't know if you know this, that doesn't even scratch the surface. And, and here's what we're going to get into because in each one of those writings, it was because of who God was to them, what he revealed. And I believe with everything inside that God is wanting to reveal himself to this world, but he's wanting to reveal himself to his people, his children, his church. And through that, we're going to make who he is known to the world. So in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6, it says this. For unto us a child is born. Somebody say, a child is born. It says, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Say, a son is given. Now listen to this part. And some of you need to be reminded of this part. Some of us, because of what's happened in the past, we've lost track and lost sight of this. But it says, and the government will be upon his shoulders. Can I tell you, he is not on the government's shoulders. He's not in the government's hands. He's not in the government's pocket. The government is upon his shoulders. He's the one who rules and reigns. And it says, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Now flip with me quickly to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 20, 29. Mark 8, 27 through 29, it says, Now Jesus and his disciples went out from the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And then he looked and said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, you are the Christ. Heavenly Father, I ask for the next few moments you lend me your voice. God, there is not a person in this room that needs my opinion, and they definitely don't need my advice, but what they need is a word from you. 
And today I pray that you would reveal who you really are to each and every one of us. Uniquely and individually. But intimately I pray. And God I pray that you would hide me behind the cross. Make me invisible and, 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 and it, because it's not about me. I'm just here as a messenger. I just have a microphone. But God may I be a microphone that you speak through today. In Jesus name everyone said. This message actually came, and I'm getting down, just get ready. <laughs> this message came from when, and I may have shared this briefly before, I was preaching in, in Great Bend, Kansas, and I was supposed to be there for three days, God showed up, and I ended up being there almost two and a half weeks. A church that ran about 250, we were running standing room only, 700 to 800 people. People from Arkansas, Missouri, people from Nebraska, people from Colorado just started coming. We started seeing salvations like crazy. And in the middle of the, the Tuesday night, I'll never forget it. I started that Sunday morning and, and on Tuesday night it was packed. We just decided that night we're going to extend it. We're going to just keep going and I'm preaching. I'm just preaching who Jesus is and the four reasons that Jesus came to die. And in the middle of point number three. A lady from the very back of the church stands up and she screams. She says, how do you repent for the things that you've forgotten about? And I realized at that moment that it wasn't necessarily just a question. That God was doing something and I, I felt the Holy Spirit just kind of respond to her. And I said, listen, stop worrying about what you need to be forgiven of and just give it all to him. Just surrender all. Just come to Jesus as you are, broken, hurting. Just come to Jesus and say, Jesus, here is my everything. Too many times we think, well, what does Jesus want? Can I tell you, Jesus didn't die on a cross to get our sin. He died on a cross to give, get our lives. We just give him the garbage we don't want. So we make Jesus our trash man instead of our savior. That'll preach maybe in a couple weeks. So I, 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 I do this. And all of a sudden, she's still standing up. 700 people just looking at us. And she said, but what do you do when you, how do you repent for the things that you don't want to give up? And I realized at that moment, I wasn't just speaking to her. I gauged over and there was a gentleman, probably much like you right now. He had about eight foot between him. He was the only, there was only seats around him. But he, there was not a place on his face that was not tattooed. I mean, his eyelids were tattooed. Inside of his ears were tattooed. It was on his neck. It was everywhere on his face. This is Kansas again, remember. And all of a sudden, after she asked that question, he leaned in. Put his hands kind of folded and just kind of leaned in. And I realized I was speaking to him. And I said, here's the thing. Stop trying to figure out what you can live with and what you can live without. Stop limiting what God wants to do by saying, well, I'm willing to give this, but I'm not going to give that. And I said, I remember coming to the altar, a drug addict, a drug dealer, messed up, an alcoholic. I was suicidal. I was depressed. My marriage was over. And I said, and I remember going to an altar and falling on my knees at the lap of grace and saying, God, I don't know if I can live for you tomorrow, but I can't live without you today. And I just need you, God. I need you to help me. I, need, I don't know if I can overcome these addictions. I don't know, but God, I need your help. And I just give you all of me. And all of a sudden, I started seeing tears run down this man's 
face. They gave an altar call. And he was one of the first ones that walked down to that altar. He collapsed. He fell on his knees, had his hands, and he was almost convulsing. He was crying so hard. And I went to put my hand on his head, and I realized that there was some skin that was not tattooed. And it said MS-13. Now, if you're not familiar with MS-13, it's one of the most deadly gangs in the world. They're out of El Salvador. He stood up afterwards and he just wept I just I, I, I was almost claiming that property I'm like it's untattooed God this is yours <laughs> and he just sobbed he stood up and he hugged me he had broken English was from El Salvador and he says they'll kill me for what I just did he said they will use me as 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 uh, uh, um, an example thank you he said, they'll use me as an example. He says, I live in their house. I eat their food. I drive their cars. They'll kill me, and they'll kill my family back in El Salvador because of what I just did. He says, but I felt peace like never before. And I knew I had to do this. When you said I, that you didn't know if you could live without, that you, if you could continue to do this, he says, I, I didn't know if I could do this or not. He says, but I'd never felt that before. He said, is that peace, Jesus? I said, that's Jesus. Can I tell you something? that I wrote this entire message because can, nobody can take that peace away from him. Nobody can take that experience. Nobody can take that encounter. No matter, no threat. No, no, no experience. Nothing, nothing can take that experience where he goes, wait a second. I felt Jesus. I, I know he's peace because in the midst of chaos, I felt it. Is that who Jesus is? And I sat there and I went, wait a second. We base who we think Jesus is by how we currently feel. By what we're going through. And Jesus is sitting there. You've got to get a hold of this today. Jesus is trying to reveal himself to his people. And he stopped everything and he asked a very simple question. But, but watch this for a moment. Ever since Jesus was born, people have tried to figure out who he is. Let's be honest. Ever since we heard of Jesus ourselves we've, and he's come into our lives, we've been trying to figure out who he is. Our image of Jesus often changes by what we are going through and the type of day we're having and our emotion, how we emotionally feel at that moment. See, one day we proclaim Jesus as Emmanuel. The next moment, we question whether or not he cares. If you don't believe me, ask the disciples. Oh, go back. I mean, we're... We're, we're, we're talking about it. We're, this is the season of Christmas of why he came one week. On, on one week, they're, they're crying out, Hosanna in the highest, laying palm branches at his feet. The very next week, here's, they're screaming, crucify him. See, one day we claim him as faithful. The next we question if he cares or not. See, in those days, the poles were split. Some said he was Emmanuel, God with us, while others said that he was Beelzebub. Most had an opinion of his identity depending on their own personal encounter with him. See, how we see Jesus will be determined by who we were before we met him. 
Let me say that again. How we see Jesus will be determined by who we were before we met him, what happened when we met him, where we were when we met him, and how we responded after we met him. What are you talking about? The Bible says those that love much or have been forgiven much love much. I'll never forget an old preacher came up to me and he was like, your, your salvation must have been pretty radical. I said, well, how do you think, how do you, how do you know that? And he says, because you preach radical. He says, you've never forgotten what God's done in your life. I said, how could I? I'm only, only, one, only one decision away from going back. Who are you? What's God done in you? Who were you before you met Jesus? What was your mindset? What was your emotion? I showed Darren a picture. I have a picture in my Bible, and, and it's, I keep it in my Bible because it, it's, it's the night before I gave my life to Jesus. And it's a picture of me and Shelly, and Darren, you can attest to it. I'm sitting down, Jen, and I'm talking to Shelly, and she has this look on her face that's literally, it's devastating. And here's the crazy thing is, I only sat down at that, I was in a wedding, I only sat down with her one time that night to tell her I no longer loved her and I was leaving her. I was 21 years old. She's holding my three-month-old baby girl. That next day, she went to church, gave her life to Jesus, came home, begged me to go to church. I said, church doesn't change you. And she says, you're right, Jesus does. So let's go talk to Jesus. Drug me to church that day. I gave my life to Jesus, never turned it back. I literally, and I've, I probably have shared this. The day I got saved, that Sunday night, that first Sunday night in November of 1996, I, I, read, I dedicated my life. I gave him everything. I went in the middle. The, the, the songs were singing. I don't remember any songs that were being sung. My preacher started preaching. I don't remember where he was, but in the middle of him preaching, I went down to the altar because I found out Desperation doesn't need an invitation. <laughs> and I stood up and I came down the altar. I gave my life to Jesus. You know the crazy thing? As I turned around towards my bride and I said, hold on a second. I went and got her brother. Her brother who was a youth pastor. He was the guy that actually officiated our wedding. I went and got him. I said, we got to renew our vows. I just, get, I just gave my life to Jesus. I said, we got to go renew our vows. He's like, what are you talking about? I said, bro, she got ripped off. She married the wrong man. I said, I'm giving her a brand new marriage today. I'm starting over right now. We renewed our vows at that altar. I went home. I started, I started flushing drugs, dumping out alcohol. I, started, I threw the TV outside. I, I just got rid of it all. Because I wasn't going to lose what had just happened. Because all, no preacher had to tell me you can't do that no more. You can't drink that. You can't talk like that. You can't act like that. I had an encounter with God, and I wasn't going to do anything to lose that. Why would I entertain something that at one time was destroying me? Why would I want to sit down and grab something and drink it when it almost cost me my marriage? This isn't about liberty. All things are, benefit, or all things are, are, are available doesn't mean that they're beneficial. I said, God, I'm going all in. If I'm not going all in, I'm all out. And I've been all out, and that didn't work out for me. So I jumped in, and I never looked back. But I got to know who he was. Can I tell you, though, fast forward, 27 years later, I know him more today than I did that day. I had no idea. I thought he loved me. But the depths of his love that have been revealed to me since then. Oh, I, I, I know he forgave me, but the depths. See, until you realize the consequences and the depth of your sin, you'll never realize the depth of his love. And I went, wait a second, I got to know him. And everything's changed. 
See, I just want to talk to you just for the next few moments about who is he. See, there are many people even today in this room who have been around Jesus uh, and, and, and around the things of Jesus, but still truly don't know, know who he really is. But today I want to change it. I want to change that by introducing you to a greater understanding of who he really is. See, our text is found in a very intense time. In Mark, it's very, it's very intense. A lot of things going on, especially for Jesus. There is an overwhelming heaviness upon him for an unfathomable day approaching. Emotions are high and weariness is set in. So much to do and so many needs and so many hurting people and so many lost and searching souls. Jesus understood the urgency of the hour for that event for it was exactly six months. Listen to this. He asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? It was exactly six months to the day that he would be crucified. He was preparing, not just for the moments ahead, but the disciples and what they were going to go through. So he needed his disciples to know for themselves who he was and not just who everyone else said he is. That moment had come. Why he truly came to this earth had arrived. See, he desired them to know him, not just know about him. And he did not ask them to reaffirm him. He did not need them to build his confidence, but instead to reaffirm, them, reconfirm them and their confidence by establishing the truth of who he was to them. So Jesus asked, can I teach you something? God never asks a question to get information. God never asks a question to get information. Why? Because he's omnipotent, he's omnipresent, and he's omniscient, meaning he's all-powerful everywhere and all-knowing. And so why would he ask you a question? Because he wants you to come to the conclusion of your answer. Adam, Adam, where are you? We're hiding. So he's asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? He, he, doesn't, he knows who he is. He's wanting his disciples to come to the conclusion. And they start talking and they're like, well, they say that you're Elisha. They say that you're one of the prophets like Jeremiah. They say that you're John the Baptist. And Jesus looks at him and he says, but who do you say that I am? And I love this part. They said, you are the son of God. You know, the part that I was sharing this with Darren this morning, after, he, after Peter says, you are the son of God. You're Emmanuel, God with us. All of a sudden, Jesus said something, and it seemed confusing to me at first, and then all of a sudden, I began to study it, and I, it made a whole lot more sense. Jesus says, no man has taught you this. No man has told you this, but only my Father in heaven who has revealed this truth to you. But then he goes on and he says this. Go tell no one. Go tell no one. How many times did Jesus say that? You remember the lepers? And he says, go and tell no one. He healed people and he said, go tell no one. See, we look at it like, don't talk about this. That's not at all what he said. In the original translation, he's not saying don't go tell anyone. He says no matter what you say, you're not going to be able to reveal this to them. It's going to take me actually doing it. So you can say something, but you're not going to be able to tell them the only way I can tell them. Go show them. But your talk's not going to change anything. 
An encounter is what's going to reveal who I am and what I'm able to do. See, we call Jesus Savior, Healer, and Deliverer. Those are names of, of Jesus. But we look at those as things that he does, but that's not what he does. That's who he is. Jesus doesn't heal. He is the healer. Jesus doesn't deliver. He is the deliverer. And wherever Jesus is, when the people recognize who he is, all of a sudden those things come alive in their life. You think it was accident that that man happened? You, do you understand what God had to order and do in order for that man to be in that room? And before he walked, he probably was questioning about, about what he was about to say. And all of a sudden just happened to say, hey, listen, if you were my sister or my daughter, It didn't start that day. God had to work out the schedule for your doctor to be gone. God had to cause things to grow in order to expose the plans of the enemy. Do you not understand that God, nothing happens by accident, that God is right on time and God is working even though you don't see him working, even though you don't feel him working. Can I tell you, God has not forgotten about you. He's not forgotten about this church. He's not forgotten about your situation. He's not forgotten about your marriage. He's not forgotten about your emotions. He's not forgotten about anything. And if it's not happened yet, it means it's about to. God's at work. And based how we feel, what do we do? God, don't you care? And God's saying, if you could only see what I'm doing behind the scenes in order for this to accomplish. See, what are people saying? See, there was a lot of talk about Jesus those days. The blind saw Jesus as the son of David. The unclean saw Jesus as touchable. The clean or the children saw Jesus as approachable. The masses saw Jesus as inspiring. The desperate saw Jesus as hope. The lost saw Jesus as the way. The sick saw Jesus as healer. The hungry saw Jesus as provider. The lonely saw Jesus as friend. But the religious saw Jesus as a threat to their traditions. Well, let's go back. Take a little journey with me. 700 years before the cradle rocked in that, ma that manger, in that, in that stall. Before the star burned, before the wise men came and gave their gifts, before the angels sung their song, before Isaiah dipped his prophetic pen into inspired ink, walking in the past, looking to the future, and giving good news for the present. Isaiah wrote about the greatest single event in all of human history that would literally split and separate time. The birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, Isaiah tells us, while under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, so that no one should misunderstood from that, be misunderstood from that moment on, as Isaiah proclaimed who this Jesus is. See, Isaiah says Jesus is human. Did you know that Jesus is human? What does it mean that Jesus is human? Isaiah said, for unto us a child is born. This speaks of the humanity of Jesus. Jesus was born the son of man. Jesus was born of an earthly mother put on human flesh and lived 33 years on earth as a man. Let me tell you what that, that this means. Jesus walked as a man. Jesus talked as a man. Jesus thought as a man. Jesus had feelings like a man. Jesus ate like a man. Jesus had emotions like a man. Jesus hurt like a man. Jesus was tempted like a man. Jesus was hungered. Hungered like a man. Jesus thirsted like a man. Jesus got tired like a man. Jesus suffered like a man. Jesus died like a man. And Jesus was buried like a man. Jesus can associate with everything as men and women that we walk through.
See, he put on human flesh. He knew that at that moment, what you and I would feel and what we go through, every feeling you could ever have, he had. Everything that you could ever face, he faced. And But this is what the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. The high priest of ours, for he faced all the same testings as we do, yet he did not sin. He didn't blow it. Because he was human, but there was another side of him. Jesus was holy. See, Isaiah said, for unto us a child is born. But then he goes on, he says, but unto us a, a child is born. But unto us a son is given. The phrase, a child is born, speaks of the humanity of Jesus. The phrase, a son is given, speaks to the deity of Jesus. See, as a child, he is the son of man. As a son, he is the son of God. As a child, he helps, it helps us understand his earthly beginnings. But as a son, he helps us understand our eternal promise. See, as a child, he is born to live with us. But as a son... He he was given to die for us so that we could live eternally with him. A child is brought into. A son is sent forth from. See, yes, Jesus was born of an earthly mother, but he was given by a heavenly father. Jesus had royal blood, blood of a heavenly father flowing through his veins. Isaiah 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call him Emmanuel. Did you know that Jesus was so human that he could be born in a stable, but he was so divine that angels had to come and announce his birth? Did you know that Jesus was so human that he could get tired and lay down in a boat as they were crossing the Sea of Galilee, but he was so divine that he could speak to the storm and cause the winds to lose their breath? Did you know that Jesus was so human that he could go to a mountain and pray there all night? But he was so divine that he was the one in whom set the earth's foundations and spoke the mountains to come forth. See, Jesus was so human that he could weep at the grave of Lazarus, but he was so divine that he could call Lazarus out from the dead. Jesus was so human that he could die on a cross, but he was so divine that he could come back to life and conquer death, hell, and the grave. See, Jesus was... Human, but he was also holy. But today, it's not just about the nature of Jesus. It's about the name of Jesus. See, there is something supernatural about his name. Notice what Isaiah said. And his name shall be called. A single name cannot describe him. May I remind you that God first revealed himself as God. And then continued to reveal other names based on his nature. These names were shared because it was impossible to reveal himself and his nature in just one single name. For example, in Isaiah or in Genesis chapter 1 verses 1. It says he revealed himself as God. Yet this name speaks of the might of God. In the beginning, he revealed himself as a God of might, authority, power, and supremacy. And then demonstrated his might by creating the heavens and earth. But listen to this part. This is where it gets really exciting. Although the name God is very informative and inspiring, the name says nothing to him being a God of love, a God of mercy, a God of grace, a God of justice, and a God of patience. So therefore, what he does is he wants to show you who he is. He doesn't want to just have people tell you who he is. A single name. Our God is so great, 
and so glorious that it is impossible to reveal him in just a single name. A single name cannot define him. Several names cannot begin to describe him. You can list all the names of God, but if you want to, yet you still will not have fully even defined who he really is. You can take the alphabet and go through every letter and list through every and every thinking about the names of God and the attributes of God, but you still will never be able to scratch the surface of his greatness and his glory. Isaiah said this, a child has a name, and we know him as Jesus. Jesus, Lord, Master, Savior, Deliverer, Healer, Christ. He has many titles, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Lion of the tribe of Judah, Ferris of 10,000, the Bride and Morning Star. But who is he to you? And who he is to you is only revealed by the encounters that you've had with him. So let's, let's go a little bit further real quick. See, to the hindered, He's an amazing God. Isaiah said that you can call him wonderful because he is wonderful. And his name speaks of one who is out of the ordinary. It speaks of God as being unique and different. He is, is, is mar the marvelous one, the astonishing one. There is no one like him. There is none besides him. Job chapter 19, it speaks of it and it says, I know my Redeemer lives, yet in my flesh I will see him. I myself will see him with my own eyes. And then he goes on in, in, in Job chapter 42 and he says, I know that you can do all things. No one can stop you. But up to now, I've only heard of you. But now my eyes have seen you. How many of you have had that encounter where you've heard of God? God heals, right? God heals. God heals until he actually heals. And now it goes from hearsay to an absolute truth. But he is also a restorer of all things. What does it mean that he's a restorer of all things? It means that there's some things that you've been... Ripped off from maybe some emotions, maybe some peace, maybe some joy, maybe some sons and daughters called prodigals. He restores them. What does it mean he restores them? He doesn't give them back broken. He brings them back whole. But until it happens. See, I, it's easy to stand up here and say, I believe in these things. You, you, I'm getting there. Get ready. They are watching me. That's how you keep teenagers engaged. You threaten them. You let them think that they have a say-so, and then you come back and make them do things that they didn't really want to do. <laughs> see, it's easy to stand up here. As, you look up here, and you saw Shelly uh, a couple weeks ago, and you see me, and we're like, man, all these, these sermons are easy to live. Are these easy to preach, but they're hard to live. Can I tell you, I only preach two types of messages, ones I've lived and the ones I am living. Some of these are still in process. Sometimes I have to remind myself, and so I'm not just preaching to you, I'm reminding myself that God is able, that God is. So when my little girl, at 17 years old, moved out of our house, who had graduated, and all of a sudden she starts getting tied up into drugs and alcohol and doing things that, that she had never done before. She had just literally, in the last two years of her high school career, had been a part of seeing literally 321 of her friends at her high school give their lives to Jesus. And all of a sudden graduates and loses her ever-loving mind. And all of a sudden now I have a prodigal. It's easy to shout. When everybody's shouting and things are going good. But what about those moments where you're saying, God, wait a second. Do you not see? Do you not know? Do you not care? And I'll never forget. I'll never forget. 
my, my middle daughter came and she said, she went to a, a slumber party and it was right next door to the house that my daughter was living at. And, and, and she, she called us in the middle of the night. She said, Dad, can you come get me? I said, yeah, what's going on? She said, Jaden's drunk. And I don't want to be here. And I went in the middle of the night to go pick up my middle daughter. She was 15 years old. And as I'm sitting there, I'm watching my, do- my oldest daughter, who's 18 at the time, stumble across the street as literally teenagers are, 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 are plastered all over the ground. I sat in that car and wept. And she came up and I didn't even recognize her. I'm looking at her and she's mocking me. And I drove home just weeping, broken. Get home and I'm, I, go to my, I, I go to our closet and I'm just laying there, Jen, just crying out to God, saying, God. All of a sudden, the phone rings. It's my daughter, Jaden. She had been drunk and one of her friends took her outside and was sitting on the curb in the middle of the street and says, Jaden, this isn't you. What are you trying to do? This isn't who you are. This kid's drunk. And he says, you need to go home. This isn't you. So she calls me up, borrows his phone. Says, Daddy, can I come home? And I said, no. I didn't want to say no. I didn't mean to say no. I said, no. Shelly's standing there. She said, what did she say? I said, she wanted to come home. And I had to say no. And she goes, why would you say no? I said, it wasn't me. I sat there and just wept. God, what are you doing? All of a sudden, 2 o'clock in the morning. Open the door and there's my little girl just sobbing. She said, Dad, I know you said I couldn't come home. She said, but when you said I couldn't come home, She said, I always run to you when things are bad. She says, but I've never ran to God in the middle of that night or in the middle of the street. She said, Dad, I I, I gave my life to Jesus, and he's now my Lord and Savior. He's not, I'm not just serving him because he's yours. That's not, I'm not just serving him. I didn't give my life because that's what you told me to do. She said, I found him tonight. I said, come on home. Can I tell you, she's never turned back. We've walked through attempted suicides with our kids. We've walked through craziness. It's not always easy, but can I tell you, there are times where you crawl to the altar and say, God, you are wonderful. In spite of what I feel, in spite of what I think, in spite of what's going on, you are wonderful because what I'm going through doesn't change who you are. I can tell you that. I can preach it, I can say it, I can quote it, but until you encounter that, it's hearsay. But once, once you encounter his wonder, oh, I know what it's like walking in a doctor's office and the doctor says, listen, you have late stage three, early stage four lung cancer. And if you have 30 days, it's a long I loved how you said, agitated, frustrated. How could I tell? I didn't tell Shelly for three days. How do you tell her? I'm not going to be here next week. How do you tell your kids? How do you look at your kids in the eye? And say, there's 
and you're sitting there and that doctor says, I don't know what happened. But where that lump was, where that nodule was, there's no longer a nodule. And there's a place as if it's been surgically removed. A doctor at John Hopkins said, did he have it surgically removed? Because it looks like it was taken from him. You're wonderful. Whether you do it or you don't do it. You are the same. See, to the hindered, he is an amazing God. But to the helpless, he's an approachable God. Isaiah said, you can call him counselor. Because he is the one that will guide you. His, that name speaks of what, who you can give. You can get guidance and you can get direction from a counselor. Is someone you can turn to for help and advice. We will guide, he will guide you with his word. He will direct you with his spirit. He will lead you with his voice. He says, and they will know his voice. But isn't it funny? We go to everyone else. Think about this for a moment. And I'm, this is where I'm going. How many ever went to a doctor's appointment? What are you called? Patients. You have a doctor's appointment at 10 o'clock in the morning, don't you? And they put you in the waiting room. And if you ain't sick, when you get there, you're going to be sick by the time you leave. Everybody's sneezing and coughing. I told you I was going to do it. Why am I doing this? Wait a second. I'm not just doing this for fun. I'm doing this because some of you need to be reminded. And it's not just from up there. It's right next to you. You wait for a doctor to come and practice. And what happens? They give you earthly knowledge. And they do their very best to give you prescriptions and they do procedures and they have all these processes. But how many of us have ever made an appointment with God and saying, God, I'm not leaving here. I'll wait here. I'll be patient because you're not practicing. You're the author and the finisher of my faith. And if you say it, it shall be done. What am I talking about? Why am I saying this? Because there's people outside these doors that need him. They need to know that he still saves. He still delivers. He still heals. He is approachable. Darren led a young lady to the Lord a few years ago who was struggling with homosexuality. In a Starbucks parking lot. Turned around and looked at her and said. You want to know Jesus? You know what her thought when she wrote me? I thought God hated me. God is approachable. See to the helpless he's approachable. Psalm 16 verse 7. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. Psalms 46 verse 1, God is our refuge and our strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. One translation says, He's an ever-present help. He's where you are. See, to the helpless, He's approachable. To the hindered, He's amazing. But to the hopeless, He's almighty. 
Isaiah said that you can call him Almighty God, Almighty God, because there is nothing that Jesus cannot do. Now, as a counselor, the Lord can tell you what is right, but as a mighty God, he can empower you to do what is right. God is mighty in his presence. He is mighty in his provision. He is mighty in his power. He's mighty in his perception. He's mighty in his promises, and he's mighty in his protection. See, as long as God is, there is hope. As long as God is, there is help. As long as God is, there is healing. There is nothing impossible with God because God will always be God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jeremiah 32, verse 17. Oh, sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your strong hand and your powerful arm. Nothing is too hard for you. God himself responded in Jeremiah 32, verse 27, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me to do? Why am I saying this? I want you to think about it. You ain't going to have to go far. You ain't going to have to spend a lot of time on this. What are you facing right now? What are you going through right now? God's asking you a question here. Is there anything too hard for me to do? Is there anything too hard for me to do? Nobody created the earth until he did it. Nobody raised the dead until. Nobody walked on water. Nobody fed 25,000 people out of two fish and five loaves. Once he did it, it can never be denied. What's God about to do in your life that maybe up to this point has never been done? I want you to say this with me. Say, God is able. God is able. See, a couple more. To the hurting he is an affectionate God. Isaiah said that you can call him everlasting father because he is the only one who is no beginning and no ending. He is the one from all eternity past that, that has entered into relationship with man. He is not some distant God that man cannot know. He is a father that loves and cares for his own. Psalm 68 verses 5, a father to the fatherless, a judge to the for the widows is God in his holy habitation. Psalms 103 verses 8 through 14, the Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to anger and filled filled with unfailing love I don't know if you know this one of the scriptures says this it says that God is rich in love you know the currency of heaven is not gold you know the currency of heaven is not diamonds or silver you know what the currency of heaven is love and God is not going his vats are full. His heart is overflowing. I love it goes on. It says, for his unfailing love towards us, who will fear him? He is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are and he remembers that we are only 
dust. See, to the hurting, he's an affectionate God. To the hopeless, he's an almighty God. To the help, the helpless, he's an approachable God. To the hindered, oh, he's an amazing God. But the last one is to the heartbroken, he's an assuring God. Isaiah said that you can call him Prince of Peace because he comes to you to give you peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace who can gladden the grieving, heal the hurting, and save the sinning. He is the one who will fill your life with peace and assurance. The Prince of Peace will not leave you comfortless. He will not leave you alone. He will, not, he will come to you and he will help you. He will comfort you. He will love you. I want you to know that the Prince of Peace, that Jesus, the peace that Jesus gives to you, it may not come to you in the the middle of the storm but can I tell you he will calm the storm that's raging on the inside of you Psalms 4 verses 8 in peace I will lie down and sleep for you alone O Lord will keep me safe Isaiah 26 verses 3 you will keep me in perfect peace all who trust you those that are hindered need him. Those that are hurting need him. Those that are helpless need him. Those that are helpless need him. Those that are heartbroken need him but my question is who is he to you? Some of you. Jesus has become a parole officer. Some of you check in too to make sure that you're doing right. But some of you, he's an angry father. But to those that really know him, he's everything. You can see Jesus in everything you are and everything you do. You can see him in every situation. You can see him in every circumstance. So who is he? Jesus came to this earth. And if I can get the worship team to jump on the stage with me. Jesus came to this earth. I don't know if you know this. To not just die on a cross. There was one sole purpose for Jesus to come to this earth. So you could know him. Not just know about him. And he knew that sin had to be dealt with. Sin, the cost of sin had to be paid. And he was willing to give his life. So you could stand here today. So you could kneel in your darkest hour. Thank you for listening. If you're able, we would love to have you join us in service on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. You can find more information on Facebook. Just search Tucumcari First Assembly. Have a great day.